Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowe. I'm Big Jim and Goody, it's almost here. We'll be looking ahead to the start of the Guinness Six Nations this weekend and having an exclusive chat with Scotland head coach Gregor Townsend. We'll be discussing the RFU's clarification or climb down on the lowering of the tackle height. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Busy weekend for you, Jim. Yeah, it has been a busy weekend. In a good way, though. In a good way. I was down interviewing Jasper Visa last week. Lovely bloke. We'll get on to that. Some people might disagree. And I'm sure that's a talking point from the weekend. But I found him very engaging. Lovely bloke. And then it was the big weekend of Doddy Aid. As we know, these things go. There's a lot of charity things that come to us and that we get involved in the hambo foundation uh, the my name's doddy foundation goody does stuff for the police in recent years and there's a number of things that we get asked to do right and we all know that the my name's doddy foundation and the doddy aid stuff producer rob set up a rugby pod league that's nearly hit five thousand pound it's a great thing to be a part of but for me it can be quite overwhelming you know when you're getting pulled pillar to post but i turned up to a couple of events on friday one Edinburgh Ackies to do a Dodcast, get it? Podcast, but Dodcast with Jill Douglas and Andy Nickel. So the old guard, old school, and Rob Wainwright. And then we had an evening event on a lovely boat called the Fingal, not Finger, Fingal, in Edinburgh, which finished quite late, about half one, two in the morning. Marco Masotti, big shout out to him, the South Sea Sharks owner, and the coaches turned up to that brilliant event. Catherine Granger was sat next to her. She knew me. No, she didn't. Gold medalist, why would she? And that was late into the night. I thought, all right, now it's time to breathe because I've got a big game at the weekend to do. I've got the Edinburgh Sharks game, so I'll do a bit of prep in the morning. Oh, no. Is that a big game, is it? It was one of the big games. It was bigger <laughs> than the Connacht Lions one that I did after, Andrew. And I didn't have any time in the morning. I was on a rowing machine at nine o'clock in the morning on the Royal Britannia. Royal Britannia, Britannia all the way. I don't know if you can even sing that anymore. I don't even know what's allowed in terms of singing. But I was on the Royal Britannia and we were raising loads of money for My Name's Doddy Foundation and had a brilliant time. But it ended with, I don't I don't want to sound horrible here, but I'm going to have to say, it ended on Saturday night at about half 10 when the lights went off after the Connacht Lions game and the curtain went down on that. And then Sunday was just... With the kids. Bedlam with the kids? I would rather have watched Connacht Lions again. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, being harsh there. I'm being harsh. And also, producer Rob, I've got to say sorry to him because he was up in Edinburgh on Sunday and it's been that busy and that mental and that manic that 
I didn't even see him on Sunday. I gave him a load of good recommendations, coffee shops and pubs to go. I think he ended up in the Three Sisters. That's our Rob, though, isn't it? You know, that's what he does, isn't it? It's just, you can teach him all the sites, you can teach him all the good places to drink coffee, you can talk to him about the art of whiskey. He just wants a cold pint of Carlsberg. So I think he spent the two days in Three Sisters. I reckon he's more of a Stella man myself. Yeah, more Stella Carlsberg, much of a muchness in terms of brand, in terms of what happens if you've had a few. The funny thing is he can't say anything. Stella and a scrap, that's our Rob, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Goody? You smashing out the rowing machine or the watt bike over the weekend as well? Not the rowing machine, no, nor the watt bike, surprisingly, nor the spin bike over the weekend. But I had a pretty good weekend, actually. Friday night, I was at Stockwood Park Rugby Club. Massive shout out to them. They're big fans of the pod gym. So I I spoke at their dinner on Friday night, which was good fun. A lot of self-deprecation. Had an unbelievable homemade steak and onion pie. You know, you get proper down and dirty rugby club food. This was top notch. Homemade. Delicious it was. Alsatian and onion, you mean? There's no steak in that. <laughs> well, if that's loot, I don't want to be horrible. If that's loot and there ain't no steak in there, there's could, no rib behind that. Yeah, it could have been pedigree chum, to be fair. But yeah, it was. Uh, that was Friday night. Then Saturday, up at the Mattioli Woods Welford Road for the Andy Good Suite, it was absolutely rammed. And ordinarily, like pre match, I was hammering the Northampton fans. Like, obviously, it's a massive rivalry. There's loads of them come up to the Andy Good Suite for that. Absolutely getting stuck into Northampton fans like you wouldn't believe. Massive shout out to Sam and Joel Matavesi as well, big listeners of the pod. They were in the Andy Good suite and they actually came on stage and did a Q&A with me and were quite good fun. So um, I'd like to say I, could, I should apologise to Northampton fans because I was like, lads, keep it under 50. But I'll apologise, Northampton Saints fans, for absolutely nothing because you took our four points away from Welford Road. So that was my Friday and Saturday. Sunday was a family day. Now, we've spoken about it before. You mentioned it, Andy Rowe, about this week and the live shows are in town It's going to be a hell of a week. So I went for a spin class this morning, Monday morning, went for a spin class. I beat six 60-year-old women. They were 60 plus, so I feel good about myself. And then I thought afterwards, I thought we've got a live show in Dublin on Tuesday, a live show in Dublin on Wednesday. I'm speaking at a dinner in London on Thursday. Friday, we've got a live show at the O2. And then Saturday, I'm at Twickenham for England regaining the Calcutta Cup against Scotland. And I worked out, I'm probably going to have about 350 pints of Guinness and Black over the week eight kebabs and why the hell am I doing a spin class because it only burns about 700 calories it ain't even going to touch the sides in terms of calorie intake this week so I had a great Sunday with the family saw the kids off to school this morning I'll see them tonight quickly before I put them to bed and then tomorrow off to Dublin and I probably won't see them till I come out of uh, food and Guinness coma on Sunday and I think the missus will be happy about that because she doesn't want to see me but the kids said they're going to miss me so if I get emotional over the next few days it's probably it's not the Guinness it's I miss the kids so let me just run through it all because we do have some big updates on the live show front. So we're in Dublin this week and we've added a second night with Bernard Jackman on Wednesday. Then we're in the O2 Indigo on Friday with John Barclay and Mike Brown ahead of the Calcutta Cup, which is going to be our biggest ever live show. And we've even got a bagpiper coming all the way down from Edinburgh to pipe the lads in. Then we're in Edinburgh the following week on Wednesday with Pally and Barclay and we're doing a live Spotify show show on Thursday. We've also added a couple more dates in Cardiff on the 23rd of Feb with Ross Moriarty ahead of the Wales v England match. And then we have the OG of Ulster, Stevie Ferris, joining us in Belfast on the 8th of March for a topped off pint race ahead of Ireland v England. So check out 
therugbypod.com. Go there for all the links for all of our tickets, all the dates, all the information you need, therugbypod.com. Andy Rowe, did you just say we're having a, a bagpiper pipe us off or pipe us in? I couldn't work it out. Whatever you want, Goody. Whatever you prefer, mate. <laughs> Jim, does he pipe you off or does he pipe you in? I can't work this one out. Which one is it? Well, either or, but you did say tops off for Stevie Ferris. I've let Beck know that if she turns up to the live show, <laughs> girls on tour, you're on stage. So crazy when you think about what we've got coming up and we're asking the millions of you to get out there. We've added that show with Bernard Jackman. I think we've sold about three... We've rounded up to 300. Let's round it up to 300, but I think we've sold about three tickets. So it's going to be me, you, Bernard Jackman, and a couple of super fans from the night before. But I can't wait because I love Bernard Jackman as well. And then we've got the Cardiff one with Ross Moriarty. He said he's going to bring his dad, and we're going to be arm wrestling, flipping tables, and probably having a scrap on stage as well. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what we've got to do, lads? So it's a big week, right, the start of it all. And as Andy Rowe just mentioned, we've got loads in the pipeline. We've just got to get better week by week. Just focus on first week, right? Get better, go training, go pub, drink some more Guinness and Black, and get better for last live show with Stevie Ferris. I don't know if that's going to happen. Let's, we, there's an honest man and there's a man who moans. I'm thinking by the time we get to the end, we could be limping and leaking, <laughs> leaking out the arse. <laughs> well, let, let's look at the rugby lads because it's Six Nations this weekend. You guys must be pumped. If I get to Saturday, I'm absolutely buzzing for it, I tell you now. I do worry about what's going to go on between now and Monday and Saturday. But the start of the Six Nations always fills every rugby fan with excitement. Even I think Italian rugby fans would be a little bit excited. But... To get the juices flowing, that first game, the old enemy, we actually really care about this game now because we can't fucking win it. We've won it once in five years, haven't we? So I used to take the piss and we've been going seven years on this podcast now, haven't we, Jim? And at the start, we used to rip into Jim about, oh, this is our year. This is our year. Jim said it every year. And I'm probably going to think he's going to say it again. But I'm just worried about us trying to beat Scotland because I've been so flippant on here over the years about beating Scotland, and we've had our arse handed to us a few times. So, as Steve Borthwick says, in six days' time, we are going to be playing Scotland, and that's all that matters. It's our year, lads. There we Scotland's go. year. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Now, I can give a bit of a snapshot to the listeners, Goody, and I reckon there's a part of me that can convince you that we are a lot better than you're thinking. Even though England are just getting better, or whatever it is. What is it? They're just getting better. Just get better every week. Week on week, get better. Focus on first game. Just because you're doing that doesn't scare me, doesn't scare Scotland, because we've got England's number, it seems, at the minute. The only thing that scares me is that team talk of Sir Kevin Sinfield before the game, and anyone, man, woman, dog, creature, would run through a wall for that man. So we're going to see a very different England team. But just for the English listeners... Scotland, we're a good team, right? Now, we can go through the archives and and joke about years gone by. Just a little snapshot, if I may. Bit England back-to-back, as we know. Easy. Easy pickings for us. Six Nations didn't go overly well for us last year. But think about what we've done in recent years. Two years ago, we beat France in... A dead rubber. Paris. We say dead rubber, France had to win it by 21 points and we were all like, wow, can France win by 21 points and win the Grand Slam off Ireland? No, no, you can't. Scotland beat you in Paris, pants down. Empty stadium. Well, empty stadium, whatever it was, we still beat France away. Other results, you go back to the Autumn Nation series, one kick away from beating Australia. I don't know how much of a big deal that is, really, but Blair Kinghorn, fairly easy kick. We didn't beat Australia. We played unbelievably well against New Zealand. Okay, but we didn't win. But... Against Argentina, 
we put nearly 60 points on six men Argentina. <laughs> so <laughs> I am happy about that. If we look at the two teams, the form of Glasgow and Edinburgh. So Glasgow got a new coach, Franco Smith, uh, madman apparently. Glasgow, good team. So Glasgow been doing really well in the URC. Big shout out to Dragons. Big win at the weekend, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. People calling us out for not talking about the Dragons. We were just there for the Welsh teams. Dragons got hammered by Glasgow at the weekend. So Glasgow are a good team. Some of their players, Sione Tupolotto in the centre is, I'd say, one of the form centres in Europe. He's brilliant, so he's definitely going to play. Is he now Sione Muck Tupolotto or not? He's Muck Sione. I thought it was normally Muck for the surname. No, but they go like, as in Skucks is like, Sean Maitland and they go like Oos and all these things. So like Muxioni sounds much more Hebridean. Okay. So he's in Glasgow going really well. Edinburgh, right? You go back two weeks ago, beat Saracens at home. I know what happened after, but they physically dominated Saracens. They also physically dominated Saracens at Saracens place. They also beat Saracens the year before in the cup that no one cares about, which is the Challenge Cup. We're a good team. Like we've got some good players, but we are missing... Our star player, Ooh. Darcy Graham. Yeah, true. Yeah, Darcy Graham's missing. Duan van der Merwe, he hasn't played in a couple of weeks because he's been getting married in South Africa. Fit then. Is he raring to go though with the travel? Yeah, I'm putting an excuse in already. Hoggy, touch and go. He's not been playing. Is he going to be fit to go? Hamish Watson played at the weekend. I don't know if he'll start. Has he got enough in the tank for Gregor Townsend to start him? Luke Crosby's been unbelievable wearing the number seven jersey and was class against Saracens as well. Pierre Schumann at said it's been one of the form said I would say, in the world. We are struggling a little bit at hooker, and we don't really have a tight end. But we've got WP now, but he's about 46. But nonetheless, he's a great scrummager, and he's a good bloke. But Xander Fagerson's been injured as well. So I wanted just to give the English listeners a snapshot of where we are. Gregor and Finn are best mates now, and it's our year, lads. So hold on a minute. I'm just trying to work out that dissection with an open dirty cloth then of Scottish rugby. I can't work out whether you're bullish and thinking that Scotland are going to be great, but you've just got a load of excuses in there as well. Which one is it? Well, that's what we do. There's always a but, <laughs> isn't there? There's always a but. Hoggy struggling for fitness. Mentioned Darcy Graham, he is our best player. Scrum half and tight head. They're the issues where I'm wondering whether or not we've got enough talent coming through. But nonetheless, very excited for the game at the weekend because it is, for many people around the world, the biggest game on the calendar. And I'm going to ask you one other question on it, Jim. And I generally mean this at the minute. The state of Scottish rugby and the state of English rugby and how England finished the autumn, obviously there's going to be a massive uplift, you hope, with Sir Kevin Sinfield, Steve Borthwick, Nick Evans coming in. I'm going to say it out here. Scotland are favourites, mate. It's coming down to Twickenham. You boys are favourites. You've retained it four out of the last five years. Can you handle that pressure as favourites? Yeah, I, you know what? We've won it that much that it doesn't really matter. It does. Like, it's not. Nah, not massively. <laughs> not massively. It's it's one of them things. It's like at some point it's got to go back, hasn't it? So <laughs> here's the excuses. It'll be class. So it'll be good to see what Twickenham's like with the new coaching staff and just basically with Sinfield there. I think he's reinvigorated England rugby. Goody, what are you expecting from Steve Borthwick and Sinfield in terms of selection? Good question. I think the big one on everyone's mind and the one that everyone can't wait to see is where does he pick Owen Farrell? Does he start at 10 or is he going to go with Marcus Smith at 10 and Owen Farrell at inside centre? Now, personally for me, I'd start Owen Farrell at 10. That axis of 9, 10, 12 is going to be really interesting and it's actually going to have a massive impact on how England play. 
They'd have worked on some serious fundamentals, as Steve Borthwick did at Leicester. So you can always count on, you know, with Kevin Sinfield, a strong defensive line. I don't think that we're going to play too much from in our own half. It's going to be about winning this game. And Steve Borthwick's focus is purely, it's not on performance. It's not on necessarily, you know, going from end to end and, and chucking the ball around everywhere. He just wants to get a W, right? So he's all that's all he's talked about in his first four or five weeks as coach. Now, I think we'll go probably Dan Cole maybe to start a tight head prop, which will be to some people a bit of a surprise. But all he cares about is set piece, kicking, driving malls, and then you can tag on the attack after that. So when it comes down to it, I think he'll go, if Jamie George is fit, Jamie George at hooker, Dan Cole and Ellis Genge as the front row. Second rows probably pick themselves in Maratoji and Johnny Hill. I think Johnny Hill's actually been playing really well for sale. He was awful for England at times during the autumn, but he's been playing really well for sale. So I think those two pick themselves. Back rows, it really interesting. Don Brandt's come back from injury and played really well. Sam Simmons is in the mix as well at eight. Who does he play at seven? Personally, you've got Jack Willis and Ben Earl. I think he'll go Ben Earl at seven. And then I've got a feeling he'll go Ollie Chesham at six because he likes him from his Leicester days. He's hard, he's uncompromising. That gives him another line-out option. And then you can have one of the other explosive players, so probably Jack Willis off the bench to come on. The scrum is really interesting as well. Does he go Ben Youngs? Why has he got Ben Youngs in the squad if he's not going to start him? I think he'll probably go Ben Youngs and have Van Portfleet off the bench. And then it's the whole decision around 10. Centre's really interesting. Personally, I'd go Farrell at 10. Then it will probably be Manu and Ollie Lawrence in the centres. But then does he go Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell? So many questions. He doesn't do that. I don't think he does, but then Nick Evans has changed his tune, hasn't he? He's like, <laughs> yeah, I can see it working together. After he told you that he didn't see the 10-12 axis working. Yeah, I think Farrell at 10. He's our captain now. He's the ultimate leader in all this stuff. Ultimate competitor. He's got off his ban. I think we see him at 10 in his best position. And then, you know, we might see Ollie Hassel Collins on the wing, which would be really exciting. Max Malins deserves a shot on the other wing. Freddie Stewart probably picks himself at fullback. But what is interesting, he's brought Anthony Watson into the squad in replacement for Henry Slade, which makes me think actually that maybe they are thinking of Farrell as a centre or maybe later in the game shifted Farrell to centre because they've got that cover there. So I look at it and genuinely, I'm a bit nervous. Like I, th- I think Scotland are genuinely favourites. Gregor's mates with Finn again. That's all that counts. Finn kicked the winner. Clutch kick at the weekend as the siren went to win it for Racing against La Rochelle. There's no question marks about Finn Russell now. And he is a, a born entertainer that can pull the strings. Can Scotland handle the favourites tag? That's the big thing for me because I'm going to push the narrative all week. Scotland are favourites. Jim, you're favourites. And you'll choke. The one big question for me, though, on ITV on Saturday, are you going the cravat or the scarf? Well, I've texted Sir Cliff, Sir Clive, and he <laughs> hasn't re- yet replied. So what I will do is I will do contrast to him. He'll probably wear a four-piece suit with a pocket watch, and I will have my tattoo on my hand hanging out, and probably the brown cravat with brown shoes, because you need to match, right? You've got to, like, that's that subtle accessory thing. But I'll wait for Sir, Cliff, Sir Clive to reply to me and then go from there. So, hey. All be revealed. Yeah, is Beck getting a an input or nah, nah. not on this one. Okay. Mate, this is ITV. This is the big time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can get the latest now on Scotland's preparations heading into this year's tournament. Head coach Gregor Townsend joins us. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks. Gregor, it's brilliant to have you. We've never had you. This is the first time, right? I believe so. Yeah, I don't think I've been asked before, have I? I have been hounding you to come on so it's great and I know why I know why that is it's because we put 100 points on Argentina 
in the last game. So you're keen to come on, which is great. Uh, how are things, Gregor? How's things in the camp? I was going to make a joke and ask if the boys have been out on the smash all week, but I didn't know whether we could go down them lines or not. <laughs> yeah, it's been a good week so far. MS Day 1, J- Jamie Wright and myself were, were down at the Six Nations launch. So it's frustrating sometimes to miss a day in camp, but at least we didn't, didn't miss a training day. Everyone seems to be excited to be back in and enjoy each other's company and enjoy coming into camp. So, yeah, been a lot of progress we made that first week. Just on that Six Nations launch, did anyone say anything to Fabian Gautier? Did you say, come on, Fabs, have a word with yourself. What do you look like, as in compared to everyone else? Did anyone say anything to Owen about how unhappy he looked being there? Uh, no, I, I, I got blisters with my brown shoes, dress shoes that I've not worn for a couple of years. So I was about to ask Gautier, Fabian, if I could borrow his trainers. He, did, he didn't like the look? I liked it, yeah, but compared to everyone else, I just it's he does what he wants to do. I suppose if you are the Grand Slam champions, you can do that. But did no one say anything to him? He had his goggles on as well, swimming goggles. <laughs> his favourite glasses. Jim just goes after him because he didn't like him when he was at Montpellier. But there we go. What was it like then? Because obviously all the coaches there, there's Warren Gatlin's back, who you've obviously dealt with hundreds and hundreds of times. I even saw a joke between Johnny Sexton and Owen Farrell probably talking about tackle technique, who knows. But is it a bit of pump your chest out and, you know, it's the start of the tournament or is it all friends and handshakes? It's more It's more the latter. You actually don't get to spend that much time with the fellow coaches because you're, you're going from interview to interview or, or photo shoot to photo shoot. You get back in for lunch and we were sort of on separate tables for lunch. And in, in between the, the official duties, you're obviously catching up with, with coaches. It seemed familiar. Like it's got back for like four or four of the launches I've been at. He he's been there, so it just seemed like he'd never been away. He fitted in back into that role, certainly for the launch day, quite quite easily. And and I think every year I've been there, it's now my sixth. The media interest or the people representing the media has grown, and we've got different forms of media now that we that we didn't have six years ago, like TikTok, uh, like podcasts. Even was Eddie missed? Uh, probably <laughs> long pause. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, with Eddie, what, what tends to happen? Well, how the format is, you you go on a rotation. I think there's twelve different groups you have to speak to. So, if you're in a in a session with the the podcast, another country will be in the session with the daily newspapers. Another one will be with the the TV broadcasters, and so on, and so on. And over the last two or three years, our media manager would give me the heads up that Eddie said something in a in another room that's caused a bit of controversy. So just to, just to let you know, and it might not necessarily be against Scotland, it might be something about the, the way the game is. So that didn't happen this year. <laughs> so it was less fun for the, the journalists, but easier for you to do your job afterwards, right? That's probably right. <laughs> Gregor, just on the media stuff, and you mentioned TikTok are there. We know that Netflix are doing a documentary how big a shift is it for you and the union to open up the doors and try and give access in a way which hasn't been done? I know me and you have got a great relationship and this is the world that I'm in. We do media slightly different. But how is that an added pressure or a distraction to try and do stuff that hasn't been done before? Well, we'll, we'll try and make sure it's not a distraction. And, and the guys from Netflix are, are very aware that they, they want to pick up the, the natural state of what our team's preparing we, we were really keen to do this a year ago when Netflix came in, I think a couple of months before last year, Six Nations. 
And we were one of the countries that said, yeah, we, we're behind this. Um, if, if it grows our game like it has motorsports and Formula One with, with Drive to Survive, then we obviously want to make it happen. And I'm a big believer in the, this tournament too, like the, the stories that the Six Nations can tell and spread our, our game, this just championship to, to people that, that don't know much about it and to countries that haven't heard of it before will, will be great. So, yeah, we, we're just getting used to it. The, the guys being around, the players are much easier and less distracted than us as coaches. Uh, they, they filmed our squad selection uh, meeting 10 days ago. and You could tell the coaches were maybe being a little bit more reserved with what they normally say. But now, now we've had them a week. Uh, the coaches are starting to relax in the meetings and I think it'll just flow naturally in the next few weeks. Jeez, I'd love to have heard some of those coaches' meetings when Jim Hamilton was being picked for Scotland or even worse, probably me being picked for England. But let's talk about the big battle then, the Calcutta Cup. First game of the Six Nations. You've had the wood over us in terms of results over the last however many years, five or six years. What you put that success down to except for Jim Hamilton not playing anymore? Because when I used to play against Scotland, I don't think we ever lost to Jim's team. But now we can't beat you pretty much. Look, I remember Jim being a part of really good Scotland teams that beat England. Jim hasn't beaten us once. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I've drawn and I was part of the team. <laughs> a draw. That was it. Sorry, a draw. I think, I think I remember you making a line break in that game, Jim. Guilty as charged, Greg. I don't remember it, but I'm guilty of that. <laughs> Yeah, how, how, it's, how it's changed. We, we went 10 years without without winning against England and the, the, the game in 2018 was a big breakthrough for us. And the way, way we played that day, uh, we played at real pace, we were very accurate, scored some cracking tries and the crowd the crowd got with us. And that, that's created belief in the group that we, we can beat England. But the, the wins are built on accuracy. Belief and accuracy. And at Twickenham two years ago, we, we really needed that accuracy because the conditions weren't great. But I remember our lineup going very well that day. Uh, we scored a, a really good try off transition that uh, Duan finished in the corner. And over the last few years, our defence has, has been strong uh, against most opposition. And you, you need that if you're playing the top teams in the world. You mentioned Jim's influence back in the day. What memories have you got from him when he was in your squad and you were the coach? Penalties. <laughs> no, I think the penalties came later in his career. My memories of Jim, he, uh, there was always this um, Jim's reputation coming from Gloucester, big personality, but he actually was really loved by the coaches. Maybe Jim doesn't realise that, but uh, he was always talked positively by, by Andy Robinson and other coaches you were in a really um, competitive group back then. I remember that World Cup in 2011. The four second rows that we had on the, the squad that campaign were, were outstanding. One of them being Captain Al Kellick. There was Nathan Hines, the Lion, Richie Gray, Lion, and, and you, Jim. So it was it was a strong group. But we, he probably didn't spend that much time with me as a tack coach back then. He was stuck in the, the mauling and the scrum sessions. That's one of the big things, isn't it? So you look at the game now and you look at the game when Jim played and you're attack coach. I'm looking at front fives handling the ball now. Jim could never catch and pass like these fours can now. How have you upskilled them so well and did Jim retire at the right time for that ability to shine through for other players? <laughs> I'll let Jim answer the second one. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest change. I remember 20 years ago, the New Zealanders used to talk about the difference between their players and the players from the north was the, the handling ability of the front five. And they were probably right, but we didn't see the relevance back then. But now when you when you look at 
props, tipping the ball on, carrying, passing off either hand, disguising passing as well. I love the second role he plays at Leinster, Maloney. He's got a brilliant pullback pass, but he can read the defence and make the right pass there. That is now the expectation of front five, props and second roles in particular. And they've got to do all the other stuff they normally do, which is scrum, hit lots of rucks, learn, complicated line out, maul and tackle. So it's it's a really demanding job now for, for the front five. It is. I can answer the second part of that question, that I help bring a player that I think is one of the leading players in this position in the world, and that's Grant Gilchrist. The game at the weekend against Saracens, Greg, again, you'll, you'll be seeing things very different to me. I'm watching it very superficially. When you watch that game against Saracens, and it ha- was the precursor to Edinburgh versus Saracens, naturally because of the Scotland-England influence, but a lot of the players from both teams will potentially feature in that Calcutta Cup game. Just talking up some of our players, everything's around Maruatoji, every, everything's around Ben Earl, but just to name two, Grant Gilchrist and Luke Crosby in that game physically, these players don't probably get the plaudits that some of the more famous guys around rugby get. Would that be right in saying? Maybe. They, they, they sound like the plaudits within our selection charts and and with their teammates at Edinburgh. Luke, Luke had played really well at Saracen's down at the Stone X a couple of months ago and he backed that up with his performance at the weekend and I felt, I felt the pack stood up really well that Edinburgh pack Sam Skinner was was very good and made really good decisions the line at defence Grant as you mentioned Jamie as a leader then, then the front row VP and, and Pierce Schumann playing 80 minutes Dave Cherry playing well so it was great for us to see because a lot, lot of these guys are in our squad so that means they're hitting form at the right time but from a, a template, how you take on one of the, the best teams in Europe, they, they showed that physicality is, is the number one factor and they delivered that last week. And then looking forward to next week's game, or this week's game, I should say, against England, Steve Borthwick and Kevin Sinfield and Nick Evans are the new coaches for England. How hard is it for you as a coach now to look at England and try and dissect how they're going to play or are you purely sort of focused on what you're going to deliver on the day? Because with new coaches involved and new ideas, even though Steve Borthwick is, you know, perhaps got some Eddie Jones inside him, how, how do you prepare your team to face the kind of unknown, really? You know, for a first game, it might help things because as coaches, Six Nations coaches, you have you have that two-month gap between November and the start of the Six Nations. And you can fill that time with looking at your opposition and maybe having too deep a dive into what the opposition are doing. But really for that, for the first game, you've got to focus on yourself. You've got to, we had two training sessions this week for players to get used to the, the way we train, the way we play, our language. And then next week, it'll be getting our game plan out and another two, two training sessions. So, so you don't want to spend more than the minimum on the opposition for that first game. Now, in terms of how England will play, there's no last game to refer to because the head coach has changed, the, the defence coach has changed and the attack coach has changed too. We believe it will be very similar to, to how Leicester go about their business and how they played. So we, we have watched their games, but who knows? It, it might be that the Saracens' influence um, means that they mix up their, their game plan. We just have to adapt to what's in front of us and get our game out, the one the one that we want to play, the one that we believe will, will lead us to victory if we do get out over the 80 minutes. The makeup of the squad, Gregor, I know the answer to this and I agree with just having the very best players in. As a head coach, is there a balance? And if there is a balance, is it difficult to find that balance with bringing in players like Ben Healy, 
John Cooney potentially down the line, Rory McConaughey, compared to players that have come through the system? You have to pick the best players. For this championship and in this year, you have to pick the best players now who are ready to perform with the Six Nations and the World Cup around the corner. In other years, you maybe pick the players you believe will be will become the best players in, in, in a year or two's time. And we did that last summer in our, our tour to Argentina. We've done that on, on other occasions. The best players that are available to you, whether they've, they've came through your own systems, whether they've got Scottish qualification outside of the country, or whether they became qualified in residency, that's, that's our criteria of selection. And, it, and it's not just on the playing ability it's about taking all information really quickly. It's about integrating with teammates. There's a cohesion element too. Sometimes you can't control that as players play at different clubs, but that is an important factor at test level too. So that's, that's I suppose, the fascinating thing with the likes of, of Rudy and Ben. Rudy's been in test environments before. Ben hasn't. And he comes from a, a different system over in Munster and Ireland. But we believe his strengths do make him suitable to play test rugby. Now, I've got to ask you, obviously, it's a question that's probably been asked you a thousand times. Your relationship with Finn Russell, you know, he, he was left out of the squad initially in November and came back in and, and did pretty well. How do you see that developing over the Six Nations? And obviously, with him coming to Bath next year, are you looking forward to him being a little bit closer to home so you can see him a bit more often, perhaps, in the Premiership? It's interesting. I do, I do get asked a lot about the relationship with players and some like Finn. People speculate and read too much into to why a person's not been selected. Players don't get selected for various reasons. And what we thought at the beginning of the season was the form that he, he was in at the start of the season and the end of last season and the form Adam Hastings was in meant that, that we selected Adam. Finn responded really well with his club and then particularly when he came into camp. He was highly motivated. He was in great physical shape. He's always very enjoyable to work with, very easy to work with. He knows the game. When he comes into camp, he studies things. Um, he leads on our attack. And then when you watch him train, you see what a skill set he's got. It's it's great to watch. Like when A lot of our players, but over the last few years, Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell, it's a joy to watch them train. Their passing accuracy, the speed that they can play at. So yeah, in terms of working with, with Finn, it's, it's always been very easy during the training week. Uh, and I now believe he's at a very important time of his career where he can see the game quickly. He understands pictures. He's had that experience of playing at 10 for over 10 years now. And physically, he's in good shape. So he can take those opportunities that he knows are going to come at some point in a, in a phase attack. And I felt the Argentina game was was the best he's played for, for Scotland, maybe in his career, but certainly for, for a year or two. He had... I think four line breaks or four try assists in that game. He helped to uh, create tries as well as making breaks himself. His, his kicking was accurate and he was really competitive. Uh, so we are obviously hoping that that continues right throughout the Six Nations. Regarding Bath, I think uh, we were excited, I suppose, about the combinations that he can and the cohesion he can build with with other Bath players. We with three Bath players in our squad this this week. Um, Josh Bayless uh, was Back row will be playing number eight the last few weeks for Bath. You've got Cam Red pass at 12 and, and Rooney McConaughey as a winger. So having four players in that squad will help our cohesion. Without going back, but just because we've got you now, Gregor, and again, we've got a large listenership from Scotland. How difficult was it shouldering all that? Walking down the street as Gregor Townsend, Scotland coach, 
would be tough at times anyway. But when it's, I suppose it's like the Ronaldo situation at Man United on a much bigger scale. But similar to when I got dropped, I imagine the manager's getting hounded. Why is Jim not playing? Why is Jim not playing? <laughs> Greg, you dealt with that very well and you don't need to go into the details around it. It's actually worked out because we saw the best of Finn. But as a manager making them big, big decisions, we've seen Gats with the Lions drop the lights of O'Driscoll and fall like, well, he, he didn't fall on his sword. It ended up being a good decision. How difficult is it as a manager in a place like Scotland where you've got a player like Finn Soho Profo, you've got a, a player like Stuart Hogg who's captain, and you're making them really, really big decisions and having to deal with that as you're walking around Edinburgh and Glasgow. You know that's your job to make the what you believe is the right decision for the, the team to improve, to get the best out of individuals as well. And it doesn't always work out. A lot of your decisions are are based on giving people opportunities. That's That's what selection is. And you know, when you deny someone an opportunity, when you, they're not selected, it can go one of two ways. So... I was obviously really pleased with with how Finn played for Racing and then with us. I was really pleased with how Stuart reacted and performed when he was no longer captain. But it, it sometimes doesn't work out that way. So it's it's part part of the decisions you you have to make and you you have to think about them for for a while to make sure it's the right decision. What would you deem a success for the Six Nations? You've obviously got your eye on the big prize of winning it. Have you got one eye on the World Cup or is it purely focused? In Steve Borthwick's mind, it's just the next game because all he's focused on is Scotland. He's been counting down the day since he got the job. Are you someone that looks at both sort of the, the smaller, closer picture and the further away? Probably less so now. We we spent time after November tests going out to France, looking at our training venues, um, finalising our warm-up fixtures. So a lot of that that World Cup preparation has been taken care of. We, we do have time again after the Six Nations to... Put more more thought into it. Get, obviously, get closer to to selecting a squad for that that period. It's an exciting year. That's that's all we know, and we we know that our World Cup performance or chances will be given a big boost if we play well in the Six Nations over those five games. If we have a a real positive um, Six Nations, in terms of success, you're, you're going to get the cliched answer. I'm sure you were looking for, which is is playing to our potential playing to that, that level of consistency over the five games with the belief that we can beat anybody we, we come up against. Uh, we've shown that over the last year, two years, three years. And the tough thing is just making sure we put our game in place. With the tournament, momentum is key. So going well in our first game or our first two weeks are going to be really important if, if we're going to have a successful season. Jamie Ritchie as captain Gregor. A lot of people agree that that, again, not that it matters what anyone else thinks, but... A lot of people are on side with Jamie Ritchie. What's he like as a captain within the group? He's very comfortable um, in that role. He's very comfortable in his own skin. He's actually, looks like he's enjoying the media side of it, which is probably a bonus. The November tests were good for him. He was just coming back to to full fitness. He got to play four games. He got to to know what it's like with the demands pre-game and post-game for a captain. And he took on his stride. Launch on Monday, He's very calm during that day. He, he's a leader, like Stuart was, that wants other players to lead as well. So our leadership group, our off-field leadership group, uh, he'll lean on them a lot to make sure that the environment, our connection is is carrying on. And then the on-field leaders, those, those guys in charge of our attack or defence, he'll make sure that they are doing a lot of the talking and huddles and team meetings. So, yeah, he's, he's someone that doesn't mind other people talking. 
one of the talking points after every single game, the main talking points is around the referees. As we go into the Six Nations and we go into the World Cup and that talking point has become more prevalent, not just in the media, but now coaches putting stuff online around referees, Rassi Erasmus, for example. How important is it for you to have that rapport, that relationship? How much work has been done with the relationship with referees on their delivery on the potential mistakes that they might make because you'll go into some games if you have an English referee or you have a French referee an Italian referee a Georgian referee it's different right and it shouldn't be different but it is different is that worrying as a coach is that something that you speak about is there work going on in the background with world rugby and the unions and yourselves yeah last week we had a conference call with all the top referees who are going to be either refereeing or being assistant referees in the six nations with the, the six coaches involved in the Six Nations, the scrum coaches had, had a similar call two days previous. Those conversations are great before a tournament, talking about what they're going to emphasise, what our feelings are on that, um, and getting some form of alignment. I firmly believe that the refereeing has never been at a higher standard. And there's less difference now between referees from countries or from north and south, which I would have seen five, ten years ago. Referees are, are refereeing more more than ever the action that's in front of them, not their tendency to reward attack or reward the defence. Uh, so that that's a real positive. They won't always get things right, and they have a hugely challenging job with the amount of laws we have in our game. But I do feel that the, the standard refereeing is as best it's ever been. Is there a law in rugby now that you'd like changing? I mean, the one for me being a, a back with. You know, a kind of attack-minded sense like yourself would be to get rid of the maul where you can drive a team back 20 metres, it's in a tackle that turns into a maul and then the opposition get the turnover. Is there anything in the game now that you think I'd like to change that to speed the game up or you know, have more of an attacking focus? Yeah, I would uh, I would like to take the jackal away. Ooh. I feel that it's part of the game where you, you can get injuries. Sander Fagerson, two months ago, did his hamstring trying to jackal Jamie Ritchie missed six months doing the, the same thing a year ago in the, the England fixture. But it, it doesn't get talked about as much because it's a different uh, type of injury. Rory Dodge. Rory Dodge, yeah, ankle recently. And it was actually Jim Telfer had said this to me a couple of years ago, that you should stop being allowed to play the ball with your, your hands in the rack. You're not allowed to do it um, from an attacking point of view. So why allow it to be a, a defensive point of view? And my immediate thought was, well, the, the attack's just going to get the ball all the time. He said, no, you, you can bring back counter-racking. Amen. And that has actually been a trend we've seen over the last 18 months because teams, they've been worried about giving away penalties for jackling when the referees are looking if the tackler has rolled away. So counter-racking has came back in the game. That often means that you're going to put more defenders into that rack, which will open up more space. And there's obviously other ways to win back the ball. You can see now people ripping in the tackle, being accurate with them, their decisions, so you may get a collision in the tackle, the ball's lost. So, yeah, that would be the one thing I'd change. Um, I would also go back and put marking off a restart in the 22. I don't know if you remember, um, Jim Andy, there. You used to be able to mark a, a, a kickoff in your 22. I don't know why they changed it, because then teams just became boring and kicked in the 22 off every restart. So it would stop teams just kicking aimlessly into the 22 if you could mark it. So there's two for you. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Gregor, and best of luck for the tournament. I know that our listeners would have really enjoyed listening to you as well, mate. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. 
I'd like to say good luck, but I'll say good luck from round two. Sorry, mate. That's okay. that's all I can add. <laughs> Greg, I'll see you on Friday night before. I think I'm coming in to give a pre-match speech to the team and just rally them up just before they go into the, the Coliseum of Twickenham. So I'm inviting myself Friday. I thought it was match day. Oh, is it match day? Yeah, I'm busy. I'm doing oh, media then. Friday will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that then. Okay, all right. I'll be there. Awesome, Gregor. Good luck, mate. Thank you, guys. Good luck, Gregor. Fully behind you. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Top bloke. Top lad. Yeah, he is actually... Really good, that. Yeah, I enjoyed really it. Really good, that. I really enjoyed that. And it's great to have an international coach on, but also, he was pretty open and honest, wasn't he? Which is great. I Like, genuinely, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for that because any Scotland coach is going to be under the pump, right? There's a big expectation. There's an over-expectation from the public on what Scotland should do. I think in some aspects, some games we've overachieved. We beat France two years ago in Paris. We've beaten England back-to-back. These are teams, really, if you look on paper... Player versus player, how much that player's worth. If you're doing it like rugby manager or football manager online, the profile of some of the teams that we've beaten, we should never do that. We should never do that in terms of like, if you look at the profile and, and the money. But I'm genuinely buzzing about this. I know we've joked about it, the Six Nations. It's how we get the emotion from that England game when we win to get up to the next game against Wales you know, against Ireland is the one that I've mentioned. And Paris, it's the emotional thing that I think we struggle with. Yeah. Because we get so fired up for that England game. But he's a good rugby man. He is. I've got a plan for Scotland this year. Relinquish the Calcutta Cup to England. Start really badly and then you'll get better throughout the tournament. There's no history of that. Mate, the last few years it's been you beat England first up and then there's a bit of a slope off towards the end. So let's just flip it this year. You can win games two, three, four and five, but let us have the Calcutta Cup back, will you? I cannot wait. How excited. He had some kind things to say about you too, Jim. Were you surprised? He's a liar, though. He is a liar. I think because he didn't want me to ask any uh, questions <laughs> about how many beers the lads are having. So <laughs> I think he got that in nice. I like Gregor. Always like Gregor. He was great for me. And you know what? The way that he shouldered 
and it's not for me to share what I've heard because they're rumours, but the way that he shouldered the Finn Russell, the Stuart Hogg situation, I know that he shouldered a lot and he dealt with it and it was all like, why is Finn not in? Why is this not happening? Why has Hoggy been dropped as captain? And you know what? We've got to a point now where you're going to get the best out of Hoggy and we saw that in the Autumn Nation series and we saw a Finn, whether or not it was the tail between his legs or whether it was Finn because he was desperate to get back into the squad. But what we saw with that was the best version of him. So leading into the Six Nations, the England game at the weekend and the World Cup, it's like everything's been settled and it's all about the rugby and winning the World Cup. Bit in Ireland. Bit in Ireland. Bit in Ireland. Or South Africa at the World Cup. That's all we need. What are you guys expecting from Wales v Ireland and Cardiff? How does Warren Gatland set Wales up technically in terms of personnel to beat the Irish, do you think? Hard one to call for me. There's no doubt about it. Chatting to Powley, chatting to a number of other people around Wales that if there's any man for the job, it's Warren Gatland. Forget about the off-field stuff. We'll probably come on to that. It's ridiculous what's going on in the WRU. It's a shit show. Yes, it's an absolute shit show. And you know what? Poor Warren Gatland's probably been left to mop up the shit, literally, on his hands and knees, just trying to get it all together because they've got a game at the weekend. Like All this stuff is overshadowing the game at the weekend. So is that a positive for Wales going into this game against the favourites, Ireland? We're talking about one of the favourites for the World Cup now in Ireland. There, talking of pressure, I've put the pressure on Ireland. There you go. Favourites for the World Cup. Wales are a team that are so... Well, we know from my history, it's such a hard team to call and it's such a hard team to talk about because... Every time they're under pressure, every time that the chips are down, every time that the podcaster, the great, I was going to say the great, I can't even do it. Every time Jim Hamilton talks about Wales, saying that they're going to struggle, they're struggling, they pull it out of the bag. Whatever reason, there's this enigma, this kind of energy, this like mythology around a Warren Gatland team. I can genuinely see Wales beating Ireland, right? Really? If we rock up next week and Wales have beaten Ireland, I won't be like, this is the biggest shock. I think it's a massive shock if they win that, even with the Warren Gatlin factor. Either that good, but it depends if Johnny Sexton's fit. I think under Warren Gatland, in Wales, first game of the championship, massive underdogs. Think about what's gone before Wales. Last six nations, they got beat by Italy. Autumn nation series just gone, they got beat by Georgia. The energy in a lot of the stadiums was weird during the autumn. The six nations is different. The romance around it, we're talking about one of the most successful teams in the Northern Hemisphere, in Wales, with one of the most successful coaches of all time, with some of the players actually playing pretty well Yeah, for Ospreys. Yeah. Not the Dragons, but for the Ospreys. <laughs> I reckon Rio Dyer starts from the Dragons. He's the only one, though. Yeah, he's the only Drags. But from that perspective, of course they've got a chance. But like Goody said there, Ireland, and I've said it before, when I said, oh, they're unplayable, and then people are like, well, no one's unplayable. If you watch Ireland when they're at the very best and they've got Sexton at 10, they're unplayable. They beat the All Blacks in a series in New Zealand. Who's the, who does that? No one. Not many. I, I suppose when you're looking at it with Wales, you talk like that, Jim, you are convincing me that there is a chance for Wales. I'm a great salesman. You are a good salesman. But this, this is the thing, though, with it. So when you look at it, you've got Ken Owens at hooker, captain, Falatau, Alan Wynne jones Adam Beard, Jack Morgan, Jack yeah. Morgan in the back row, Tipperick. Tipperick, Chunza as well in the forwards, yeah. Dan Bigger, George North will play 13, Josh Adams. They have a plethora of top-class players who obviously under Wayne Pivak weren't performing anywhere near to their potential. It's interesting, I said it last week, the Welsh regions, apart from the Dragons, 
have had a uplift in their performance level since Warren got the job. And that might not necessarily have a direct correlation, but it certainly will when they get into camp. So, yeah, actually, it's in Wales. The passion there, the noise will be huge. It'll be close. I think Arnold will just sneak it, but, you know, Gats is going to have a massive impact. He's a energizer of a team, you know, in terms of how he sets a team up, how he motivates the team throughout the week and how he talks to him. He's a born winner. He gets results apart from at the Chiefs in New Zealand. So, yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I think Arnold will have too much, but it's mouthwatering, isn't it? Goody, tactically, what will we see different from Wales going into this game? Or what are you expecting to see? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Warren Gatland, as Wales head coach, the way they played was called Warren Ball, wasn't it? In terms of winning the power gain line, you know, having a, a Jamie Roberts at the middle, having a Falata around the corner. And it was just hard, abrasive rugby, solid kicking platform. And then when the numbers were down in defence, then they'd open it up a bit. But I just think Alex King, they'll try and play a bit differently. Obviously, King, he's the attack coach. I think with a new coach, you, you go back to basics. So Warren goes back to what he knows. We've seen how the Lions were set up for their games when he was head coach there. They're not just going to come out of the blocks and chuck it around, but they'll have the fundamentals again of, of a Warren Gatlin coach team. So bigger at 10 is, you, you know, the man that controls it. He can play in a way. And I lo- what I love about Dan Bigger, when he was at Saints, he knew when to chuck it wide, knew when to play that exciting brand that those Saints boys like to play. But also he has got game management and game control up there with the best of them in the world. And, you know, and when Rio dies in space, he'll feed him and have that excitement. But I think it will be, you know, to start off as Six Nations, building something under Gats, it will go back to Gats' strengths, you know, a, a big, powerful game with, you know, a lot of line speed in defence and just trying to be, win that physical confrontation. So time will tell, but Ireland are coming with an all-court game. You know, they can play tight, they can play hard, they can drive line-outs, they can win the set-piece battle, they can win the kicking battle if Sexton's playing. We know they can all handle one to fifteen and, and put on layer on layer of attack to shorten up defenses and find space. The ball skills across that that whole group of players makes them so hard to play against and defend against. So you know, mouthwatering in terms of Gats's Warren Ball defensive structures are up against an Ireland all court game, but a lot of it hinges on Johnny Sexton, as we've always said with Ireland, and hopefully he's fit. And a lot of the Irish players are in form as well. You look at Andrew Porter. I think Ronan Kelleher is out injured, but Dan Sheehan, how good has he been? Yeah, ridiculous. As well. James Ryan, whatever second row they want to go with. Caelan Doris, my old Doris, has been on fire. Van der Fleer. Well, there you go. Like we can we can go around the houses with all of them. Ty Byrne as well. Gavin Coombs, he's been carving up. Carving up for Munster. Do you reckon he starts at eight? Don't know. What on Doris at six or yeah. Ty Byrne in the second row? Well, this is what I mean. Actually, you think about it, right? If we go through this team, Jameson Gibson Park, if Sexton's fit. Ring Rose has been carving up. Jamie Osborne at twelve. Aki, I think he, I reckon he goes with Aki. But yeah. well, Aki's not been playing for Connor. Like I know maybe that's a good thing, but the quality they've got is just ridiculous, and they're in form as well. Like they're form players in Europe and in the URC. So what you're saying, Jim, is that they're going to pump Wales? Why are you being horrible, Jim? <sighs> I'm never going to say that again. I ain't going to say that because every time I write Wales off, maybe I should write them off, and this could be their pre-match. What do you mean Alan Wynne Jones looks like he's in slow I'm not saying he looks like he's in slow motion. <laughs> Refuse to say that. I think Ireland win, but I think it's going to be harder than you think. We'll come on to the pint predictor in a second, but do you guys want to quickly run through your one to six where you think everyone's going to finish in this year's Six Nations? Should we do it at the same time so there's no convincing each other because I'm earning so much respect from you now Goody that I feel like I can convince you okay 
Okay, we'll see where we go with this. Only question for me before we start, where does Scotland play Italy? At home. Oh, okay. Okay, that's made my Why mind up. Why are you asking? Them. That's made my mind up. Why are you man. asking? For six. You horrible man. All right, come on then. <laughs> All right, who's finishing sixth in this year's tournament? Italy. Italy. Who's finishing fifth? Scotland. Wales. <laughs> <laughs> who's finishing fourth? Wales. Scotland. <laughs> who's finishing third? England. France. What? You are blind by English loyalty. You finished fifth last year, Goody. Just remember that. We play France at home. They France play Ireland away. All right. Okay. So I reckon France lose those two. Who is finishing second? England. France. And who's winning this year's tournament? Ireland. Grand Slam Ireland. With a Grand Slam. There we go. We agree, James. Yeah. Imagine that last game on St. Paddy's Day. Well, St. Paddy's weekend in Dublin, Ireland versus England. It genuinely could be a Grand Slam decider. Oh, could you imagine that? I don't know why I'm getting excited. I'm Scottish, but... Like the last game of the Six Nations for Scotland could be the wooden spoon decider. What a weekend that would be. L- let's not think about that. Let's just get this first week out of the way with it. Eh? <laughs> Who do you think is going to be the breakthrough player or the MVP for this tournament? Who do you think is going to be the player on everyone's lips by the end of this tournament? I think breakthrough player, I reckon if Luke Crosby gets a run for Scotland, people are going to see actually how good he is. I think he's banging form for Scotland, awesome for Edinburgh, and big future. So I'm going to go him. I don't want to go quickly on him, but we are going quickly because I want to get straight to my MVP, and I think it'll be Caleb and the old Doris. I think his time is now. He's already doing it. It's not going to be a surprise if he is MVP. He, for me... And having commentated on him recently, watching him more and more, listening to the great Brian O'Driscoll talk about him, he's got everything. The most all-round player, well, one of the most all-round players in the world. And I think that little bit more aggression, and I say based on watching clips of Ardi Survey, I don't know if you've heard him all mic'd up, he's like, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> when he's carrying the ball. Caleb, me old Doris, you do a bit of that, mate, and you're going to be MVP. But I reckon he's going to light up the Guinness Six Nations this year. And on that point, though, you talk about Ardi Severe, and we'll get to my thoughts on that in a minute. Can you imagine someone just shouting and screaming like that in a ruck or carrying I'd let him go. <laughs> I would, I'd... Someone with that much energy and that much aggression, you'd be like, mate, there, here's the barn door. Off you go, sir. Yeah, yeah. I remember I played against Serge Betts and he was doing that in the ruck, but he was screaming because he thought he'd hurt himself and we all jumped off him and then he picked the ball up and ran off. <laughs> 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 MVP, I'm going to go with... I'm stuck between Josh van der Fleer, and I agree with everything you say about Caleb Miel Doris. Josh van der Fleer is in that league as well. Obviously, European Player of the Year as well at the minute. And I'm going to go Gary Ringrose, because he is tearing up trees. You talk about the great Brian O'Driscoll, he's up there with him in terms of how he attacks. His speed, his footwork, his ability to get on the outside, make a break on the inside, his offloading, he's got everything. So... I'm going to go Gary Ringrose, if you've gone a forward. And obviously, we've both said that I'm going to win a Grand Slam. Breakthrough player, I hope it's Ollie Hassel-Collins. Brilliant signing for whoever signed him next year. Leicester. Are they? Leicester have signed him, yeah. How do you know that, James? Because when I said it, you looked shocked. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, yeah, it means that England are getting him on the ball. And he's the size of a horse. He's quick. He's been ripping it up in the Prem for ages. Can't wait to hopefully see him on the international stage because he's a proper asset to Irish and how they play. So hopefully he gets a load of ball in hand stuff and you know we see him making big inroads at international level. You could also see Owen Farrell as well. I think about how well Owen Farrell was playing before all this drama. 
you could see him becoming MVP just when it matters. You said you didn't like him before. No, he doesn't like me. And because he doesn't like me, I don't like him. Okay. So if I like him more, he might like me and then we like each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Guinness Pie Predictor is back. Predict the scores, beat your mates and win free pints of Guinness. And they've made it even easier this year to win free pints. All you have to do is download the free Fanzo app, go to the Guinness Pint Predictor and enter the league code RugbyPod. Let's start with Italy, France. What's the difference going to be, lads? Who's winning? Not as easy as you think. France, comfortably. Actually, I don't know because they've got a few injuries. They're too good, aren't they? If Dupont's there, they're winning by... 20. 20 too much because Italy have improved out of a lot, haven't they? Italy beat Australia. And Wales. Yeah, France by 24. Oh, I see, see what I've done. I've convinced you for saying France by mm. 20. I think it'll be 16. Okay. But for France, not Italy. Wales v Ireland. Ireland by eight. I'll go a bit more then. I was going to say that and it'll be tight. I think Ireland will just have too much fitness will tell towards the end of the game as well. Ireland by 10. And the Calcutta Cup, lads. Who's winning it and by how much? Well, we're favourites, Goody said. So, Goody, you go first. Scotland by what? You are favourites, Jim, but I do believe you'll choke because Scotland might <laughs> need to be in favourites. <laughs> so, I'm going to say England by seven. Ah. Oh. Scotland by four. There needs to be some jeopardy on this game, doesn't there? And I'm going to go Scotland by four. England will get a red card, just saying. Who? Faz, why would you say that about Faz, mate, straight away? Imagine if that happened. Can you imagine if he got a red card for a high tackle? Could you imagine? I don't want to. He'd be doing the press conference as captain. How weird is that that he's been doing the press conferences as captain even though he's banned? Well, not really, because they've fathomed the way around the ban. But right? that's what I mean. That just shows, doesn't it? Like, surely if you're banned, you're banned. Corruption! I'm just saying drama. Love it. We chatted about it last week, but the RFU have issued an apology around their decision to lower the tackle height. And World Rugby have also entered the debate now saying that the level will be lowered. So where do you guys stand now? Well, first thing I'll say, Andy Rowe, is you're wrong. You said that they issued an apology around their decision to lower the tackle height. They didn't say, sorry, we've made this decision. They said, sorry, you're all angry. With our decision. Politicians don't say sorry. Did I say politicians? Did I say that? (laughs) They basically said, sorry, you're angry. And there's been absolute outrage across the game, across the grassroots game, the amateur game. You know, it's a ridiculous decision. They've had to row back and say that, you know, we now want to consult you. Well, first and foremost, I think on this, RFU, the CEO, Bill Sweeney. On that note, do you know how much he's on? There was a thing that I saw on Twitter pop up. Bill Sweeney. Half a mil, I reckon. Without a sleeping bag, half a mil. Go north. Uh, 600? And 68,000. 668,000 pounds. For sleeping in a sleeping bag at the wheel for two years. That's him. Like, th- that's someone who's making these decisions. I'm just saying. Well, this is the thing on it. So, two things. So, there's the RFU Council, 62 members of that RFU Council, and ultimately Bill Sweeney, the CEO, have made this decision, and 62 council members voted for it, supposedly, unanimously, to change the tackle height down to the waistline. So those 62 council members, how they've not gone out into their supposed areas, constituents, if we want to get political around England, to ask players and coaches and clubs at the levels that it's going to affect, they all need sacking as well. And I remember now, Will Carling said 57 old farts are in charge of the RFU. Do you remember all those years ago he came up with that and he got a massive bollocking? I'm sure he got stripped of the captaincy or whatever. Never a true word was said. 
Like he, same people. The same people are still there. Yeah, they're even older now. It probably is. <laughs> so the RFU Council, to me, are a joke. Bill Sweeney, I believe his position has now been made untenable. If you haven't got the support of the majority of people, which are the rugby clubs around the country, that you're representing, then how's your job even tenable now so not only has he presided over two clubs going bust you know the whole issue with Eddie Jones and when he should have got rid of him fair play to Maratoji as well coming out and saying I think we needed a change he's the only one probably because he's got like a millions in the bank that he can do it and he knows he's always getting picked but Bill's just gone from one disaster to another and they'll row back and I think it you know common sense will prevail world rugby have said it will be lowered but it should have come from world rugby saying we are going to lower it to the armpit or the nipples or somewhere that's completely normal in this realm of changing the game while trying to keep it as constant as possible for what we love. The, the fact that it's done bit by bit, different unions doing, it just shows rugby is in a complete mess. And then you throw in all the issues in Wales, all the issues in France, what's going on in Italy, You know, the, the game at the minute at the top level is a shambles. Udi, can I just be clear, you're saying that Bill Sweeney should resign? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I do. The clubs don't support any decision that him or the council's made. So how's he staying in the job? As CEO, you have to take responsibility for it. This is one of the biggest threats to rugby since anyone can even think about the game. People are saying they're going to drop out of rugby left, right and centre. Meanwhile, you know, he's trying to say, let's get everyone back playing. Well, he's kind of ruined that. And he talks about integrity and building a connection. If he's living by his own words when he's talking about integrity and building connections with the fans and the clubs again. Well, he's just pushed everyone further and further away, so he's got to go. It's interesting now seeing some of the experts come out and you saw on BT Wayne Barnes and Ross Tucker speaking as well. What were your thoughts on that, guys? Well, Ross Tucker speaks very well. I was having a Twitter debate with him, which is probably not a good thing to do when you're as uneducated as me and you struggle to find <laughs> what punctuation when a full stop goes in after a sentence. But... And, he, and he'd had five points. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But very, very smart guy. And look, this is one of these things, right? In this conversation, I've got an opinion on it. A lot of mine is emotion-led, being on the front line, good mates with players that are still doing it, coaches professionally that are still coaching it. So you need experts and you need people that are not involved in that circle and you need people that are looking at the data and they have been historically. He's been looking into it apparently for the last five, six, seven, eight years. The interesting thing about Ross Tucker on Rugby Tonight, I mean, there's no... Barnsley loved the bloke. It was a completely pointless discussion with him it just like, nothing came of it at all the problem with that is Barnsley's employed by the RFU isn't he so how can he say anything against what they've done pointless input and it's never pointless from Barnsley but on such a big thing and the fact that it was condensed because there's only an hour of rugby tonight and they need to get through a load of things Ross Tucker's a really smart guy delivers really well really engaging significantly smarter than me when it comes to talking about this stuff and he's definitely the right person to talk about it and to help deliver it and to help make changes no doubt about it but the interview on rugby tonight that just showed that they're nowhere near nowhere near deep into this enough to look at the research it was like stuff that's coming out of France, stuff that they're hearing in New Zealand, uh, the fact that some of these studies that they haven't all been completed or France haven't opened up all the, the books and all the information. Well, you're making a radical change on kind of ifs and buts, really. What we know is something needs to change. The tackle height's going to come down. The sternum seems about right. And what I didn't like about Ross Tucker, one, it feels like he's belittling myself and other people who are trying to have this debate by being a wordsman, I was going to call him a swordsman, he probably is as well. He's interacting on Twitter, and I'm not in my comfort zone there at all. Love to have a chat with him. 
He can be a little bit belittling sometimes. That's how I feel. But I think that that was just a pointless, pointless conversation. And it felt like something needed to be done. Something needed to be said. Let's get Ross Tucker on. But I think there's going to be a bit of peel back and the fact that we'll go to Sternham. And I think we're not going to see it around waist height for grassroots either because of the pushback that we've had. Let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yes, let's. We're going to start off with Saints. And it's nearly an apology to the Saints fans that were in the Andy Goose at the weekend. But I ain't apologising for nothing. They won at Welford Road. Big performance, 19 points to 18. They deserve to win. James Rahm was outstanding at fullback. Should have been sent off after two minutes, but I don't think Wayne Barnes wanted to give a red card after about two or three minutes. So he only gave him a yellow, but great win for Saints. They fully deserve that. They have the bragging rights of the East Midlands today. Let's talk Saracens, Jim. Got to get one of my old clubs in the goo. Two reasons. We'll start off with an absolute stalwart of the club. Jackson Ray played his 300th game for Saracens on Saturday. So a massive shout out to him. He gets to mention the good, but also Francois Hugard and the Lambo. You talked about Beck earlier looking at blokes with their tops off. Well, I still remember when you're, what were you driving? Box Lasher Expression. <laughs> he was driving the Lambo and Beck just looked at him and then looked at you and then just kept looking back at him. But anyway, Francois Hugard and his Lambo, they're down at Sarri's. He made his debut in the Premiership for them at the weekend and scored the winning try right at the death as well. So uh, massive shout out to Francois Hugard. Let's move over to the URC then. The Scarlets had a big win. I say big, a very good win uh, at home against the Bulls. They've certainly turned a corner, the Scarlets, so a massive win for them. Sticking in the URC, Ulster backed up last weekend's winner-takes-all clash with Sale with a dismantling of the Stormers. I know John Dobson came out and said they had a load of injuries. He's never seen anything like it, but... Ever since you questioned Dwayne Vermeulen, Jim, he has been absolutely dominating yet again. There you go. You're welcome, Ulster and URC. Definitely. Leinster's under-15s continued the province's unbeaten run by beating Cardiff 38 points to 14. Cardiff went fairly fully loaded with a lot of big names. Leinster literally had the under-15s out and still won very comfortably. So it just shows the power of Leinster rugby, Irish rugby, and that treadmill of rugby players that they just keep springing out left, right and centre. So massive shout out to them. We're going to go down to Connacht. Jack Carty, that's where you go and go and do it. Yeah, Jack Carty scored a fair few points again for Connacht at the weekend to take him past Eric Elwood as Connacht's highest ever point scorer. So big shout out to him. Also a shout out to Caelan Blade, who scored a hat-trick for Connacht in their win over the Lions. He's the third Connacht player in a row to score a hat-trick after my holiday friend, Finley Bealham. Shout out to him. Scored a hat-trick the other week when they beat the Lions. So uh, well done, the Connacht boys. Caelan Blade, very good. Big debate whether or not he should be in the Ireland squad ahead of Colin Murray. I'm just asking, I'm not saying, I'm asking. But you say it, Jim. Okay, all right. He should be in the Ireland squad. Very good player. <laughs> there we go. What else was good? All the home teams in the top 14 won, including Perpignan, who beat second place Stad Francais. So a big shout out to them. But also a shout out to the magic man, Finn Russell. He nailed a clutch kick with a buzzer going, just as he was about to kick it, actually, to win it for Racing against La Rochelle. Uh, but the good this week goes to Michael Dykes, who scored a hat-trick on his premiership debut for London Irish. They had a big win against Harlequins. They dominated from minute one, but to get a hat-trick on your premiership debut, Michael Dykes, that's why you get the good this week. The bad, a few bits of bad to get through. Let's start off with Zebra. So near, yet so far for them at the weekend. They were 24-14 up against the Ospreys with about 15 minutes to go and unfortunately lost that one 28 points to 24. So that's played 17 Lost 17 this season. So, yeah, Zebra get a mention the bad. So let's go to the Dragons then. They get their weekly mention because we get a complaint 
we don't talk enough about some of the Welsh teams. Well, we do because the Dragons get talked about every week, as Jim, <laughs> as Jim said earlier in the show. <laughs> this time they lost at home to Glasgow, 42 points to 28. Where's Dean? It's his fault. It's all his fault. It's not Dean's fault, mate. He's gone Is now. It, well, it must be, but that's what I mean. It must have been all his fault, this. Yeah, definitely. The Stormers get a mention in the bad this week. They had the trousers pulled down in Belfast and Dobbo mentioned they had a load of injuries, which is true, but you're still going to get a mention. And talking about South African teams, only one of them won this weekend. The Sharks beat Edinburgh, hashtag always. That's because they didn't go for the extra points against Saracens last week. But the South African teams, the Bulls lost, the Lions lost, the Stormers lost. The Sharks won. You did that game, didn't you, Jim? Yeah, very good. They were unbelievably physical and desperate defence. Afaleli Fassi got MOM. He was brilliant. And the Venter boys in the back row as well. And Grobler in the second row. Mate, Afaleli Fassi made about four try-saving tackles, didn't he? There you go. They were very good, very physical, very impressed. They're, they are my South African team. Dobbo, I'm really sorry. That's my old team, mate. You are mine as well. Yeah, I trained with them for a bit when I was good. So they're my team. <laughs> yeah. What else was bad? Brief. Get mentioned the bad this week. They lost 37 9 at Bayonne to slip back to 13th in the top 14. And none of that wins the bad because basically the bad is going to go across three unions. We're going to start off with the RFU. Sorry, you're angry. Not sorry, we're sorry for being sorry and making a sorry decision. They basically just said, sorry, we're ang- you're angry. Sorry, it's your fault. Like, you're angry, you need to sort it out. We're sorry that you're <laughs> feeling that way. Exactly. It's your fault. There we go. So they get, I mentioned the bad, the 62 council members and Bill, who has to go, basically, is just a shambles. Uh, sticking with the unions, Bernard Laporte and the FFR get a mention as well in the bad. He resigned as French rugby president, finally, after being convicted of corruption, so he resigned last week, so thank God he's gone. But the WRU had definitely overtaken everyone. Absolute mess and a disgrace of how things have been handled. Finally, Steve Phillips has resigned as the CEO before he got pushed. He should have been pushed straight away after allegations of sexism and racism within the union. So uh, not a good place to be whatsoever. So that's why the WRU, the RFU and the FFR and Bernard Laporte, they all win the bad this week. The ugly, a few bits of ugly. Stefan Levis, shoulder to the head of Chandler Cunningham South in Harlequin's loss to London Irish. He got a straight red card for that, and rightly so. That's pretty ugly. George Tilsley from Perpignan. He gets a mention in the ugly this week for stamping on the arm of Morgan Parra in their victory over Stade Francais. So you don't stamp on Morgan Parra's arm. You don't have to stamp on arms anymore. No, you're not. Even though Morgan Parra's probably done it a hundred times when you could stamp on arms. I can tell you now he used to stamp on arms and hands because I was such a nose at the breakdown <laughs> that I got my arms stamped on and he was one of them. There you go. Um, Curtly Beal gets a mention in the ugly as well. He got arrested on suspicion of rape and sexual assault. So absolutely ugly scenes from Curtly. The ugly this week goes to Ivan Neymar, the clown who gave Sheriff Troy a rotten banana in the secret centre. And he's been suspended to the end of the season. So loads of ugly. But even Neymar, you win the ugly this week for being such a clown. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I've got a big shout-out, and it's a sad one, to Josh Mackin from Litchfield RUFC. He's just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. He wants to thank everyone at the club for the incredible support he's received. And a massive shout-out to Josh from us here at the Rugby Pod. We're thinking about you, big fella. Yeah, all the best, Josh. And a big shout out as well to Middlesbrough RUFC. It's their 150th birthday season. It's their anniversary. Uh, they've had a tough time during COVID, but are back going well in level six now. So good luck for the rest of the campaign and celebrate 150 years in style. Lovely stuff. Big shout out to Wayne Storm Thomas. Tell me that's your middle name, Stormzy. An ex-player and junior coach at Barnsley. 
rugby club and they're struggling to find new kids to play, which is a real shame as we know at the minute. But it's open to all ages from the youngsters in the tots all the way up to 12 years old. So here's a nudge to all the kids in Yorkshire to get their boots on and to join in. Yeah, finally, a massive shout out as well to Anthony from his daughter, Aura Shamowitz. Uh, they're massive Saris fans and they even like me, Jim. They're fans of the pod as well. So big happy birthday, Anthony. Hope you have a good one. Happy birthday. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Rob. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well. Make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rippy Spot. Spot it, pod, 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 pod. Uh, 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 uh,